Okay, shall we start then? Yes. Okay, so this is the first episode of a currently still unnamed podcast. Um, I'll have to think of something within the next few weeks. But the overall idea is that we take a long book, long defined as at least 500 pages, and we read roughly, let's say, 100 pages a week. And then we just talk about it for maybe an hour or so. That's the rough outline mm -hmm. of what we're going to do. Not only in this episode, not only in this series, but in the podcast in general. And the first series is about Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Today we're going to be discussing the first part. So that's the first 100 pages or so where we are going to witness a crime. One thing that's probably useful to bear in mind is that neither of us knows much about anything and definitely not about this particular book or this author or this type of literature or whatever. So it's very much just a kind of book club between regular people who enjoy reading and, I don't know, might have something interesting to say. <laughs> I don't know. That's the hope. Do you want to say anything, Antonia? I totally agree with you that I don't know anything about literature really, although I'm a big reader, but can't really claim that I have any theoretical background knowledge on literature, nor in this case, Russia or Russia at that time. But um, yes, I think this is going to be a lot of um, talking about subjective experiences and opinions and hopefully a couple of interesting things will pop up. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see. Actually, so the first thing I think that we have to talk about, which is something I've already told you about in text message, but that you haven't seen yet, is the shape of the book that I've got. I <laughs> know oh, I've sent you a photo, right? Yes, you did. I don't know how it, it's like in many ways it looks completely normal, but it's definitely not normal. So the thing is, this is also an important point. So we're reading the version by Oliver Reedy, which is the Penguin Classics version that came out recently. So it's a new translation. And Antonio and I, you know, we both ordered the same book and then mine arrived, I think, a day after yours. And I was really surprised first that you didn't mention that the book is weirdly shaped because mine is basically pentagonal. Um, it has a, it has a flat base, and then so you know usually the spine of the book is perpendicular to the base of the book, but mine is roughly a hundred degrees or something, or maybe one hundred and five degrees, and then the top, yeah, just all the all the <laughs> all the edges are strongly slanted at this book. And so I first thought this was the way this book was, and I was surprised that you didn't mention anything. But then I realized this. It because it kind of looks a bit like a tombstone also. So it kind of, it in a way, fits the theme yeah. of the book. And I mean, this is obviously a misprint or a miscut or both. I don't know what went wrong here. But it cuts off certain parts of the cover and of the translation. And somehow it just really suits the book. In some way, I think it's almost better than I, what I imagine <laughs> the standard copy is that you have. But yeah, I think I'll definitely need to. I'll, I'll provide some sort of photo in the description. Of the yeah, you need to. And the, but the cool thing is, I can actually read the book properly. So even oops, even though the text is completely skewed on the page, I mean it's it's probably like a thirty degree angle relative to the base of the <laughs> of the book. Uh, it's some of this text actually fits in almost perfectly. I just lose one or two letters in the bottom line mm. of each page. But yeah, I think we'll definitely have to tweet at Penguin and ask what exactly. Yeah, I'm surprised here. that nobody noticed, like not a single person at some point, but it's probably all 
automized, um, I don't know where you ordered it from, but it's most likely not humans packing the books anymore. Yeah, or if so. maybe they, like, I mean, you know, it took me about 30 seconds to figure out that this was not intentional. Mm. So, you know, if you're just packing this thing in a, yeah, sure. in, a in an Amazon warehouse, you're not going to, you know, look at the book and go, oh, this is really interesting. And whatever, you're just going to pack it. Yeah. But it's, What's interesting to me, though, is that somehow this book was completely miscut and then, I guess, still printed. So it seems, I don't know, they first cut the pages and then printed? I don't know. But yeah, Good question. It's not the most fascinating aspect of the book. But, <laughs> I, but I have to say that whenever I show this to anyone, and I've shown this to the three people that I talked to in lockdown, they were all absolutely amazed and fascinated by this book. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to look at it for like a minute or two just because it's such a... Yeah, I mean, I think this also says a lot about the publishing industry that this, I don't know many how, I don't know how many hundreds of books I've read. And this is the first one that isn't perfectly rectangular. Mm. So I think it says a lot about the quality of the, of the publishing industry that this is such a big deal that the book isn't perfectly yeah. uh, made. Yeah, but then again, it's like, I don't know enough about how books being printed, but it's not like the most technically advanced You'd thing. Think so. we do. But but somehow it can go wrong, and I yeah, I, it can go. I wrong. <laughs> I'd really be interested to also find out. Like, I always feel like I want to look into the publishing industry, like the printing industry, now to find out how a book can come out pentagonal. Like how <laughs> how is this possible? Um, <laughs> anyway, but that was the, the very first surprise when I received this book. But I'm assuming, oh, I don't know, maybe, Antonio, maybe you have the misprint. Maybe you have the weird rectangular that's, version. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's perfectly, um, with perfect right angles. Um, and I can actually, can you show it to me? I actually don't know. I, I, I only don't know all of the picture. I'm probably losing like 20% of the image. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to be fair, like you don't really need the bottom right part. It, yeah. Like you, yeah. you, yeah, it's, it's what you imagine would be there. Uh, and on the back side, because there's another drawing on the back. Yeah. I guess I'm just losing, although I'm not actually losing as much as it's. Bit disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just, I, I think what I'm losing is just like the, the uninteresting parts of the image anyway. Like, you know, the bottom, you had like the floor and the lower part of the. Uh, skirt or whatever or dress right mm. it's not the most interesting part of the image but yeah anyway shall we talk about the actual book rather yeah let's talk about rather the than book. the physical book <laughs> <laughs> okay are, are we assuming readers are listeners of oh uh, yes or, or should that's a good point yes we give a short summary? Uh, i'm assuming that the i mean i think it would still probably be decent to give a short summary mm -hmm. but the assumption is that people have read this and then for whatever reason, I think it might be good to listen to us talk about it afterwards. <laughs> um, but no, this is not, uh, so yeah, we, we, there's going to be lots of spoilers. We're going to talk about what the crime is. So half the title is going to be revealed in this episode. Yeah. I mean, shall we give a brief summary or? Yeah. Go ahead. Ah, oh, damn it. No, I have to do it. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, we meet good old Raskolnikov. Uh, what's his first name? I've forgotten already. Raskolnikov Rodion. Rodion, also known as Rodka, Rodia, Romanovich. Yeah. Actually, uh, one thing that's, um, I am 
so I didn't read the introduction of the book. There's like a 50-page introduction by the translator, which seems excessive. So I didn't read it. Uh, did you? Um, a part of it. Um, I started, but then I wanted to start with the, the actual text, actual book. So, but yeah. it, it is interesting. Um, I don't know whether you're referring to this, but, um, a note on names that yeah, that's what Russians typically have three names, a first name, a patronymic and a surname. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's kind of useful that, I mean, in a way it's silly to put it in there because once you know this, it's true for every Russian book. But this was very confusing for me when I tried to read War and Peace when I was like mm -hmm. 17 or something. And I thought like, man, this is so confusing. Everyone has like three names plus another name. And I didn't know that the middle name is just the name of the dad and then an itch at the end, basically, right? Yeah. For males, at least. So I was like, oh, there's this, you know, I don't know, Alexei. And then there's Alexevich and they have all these similar names and it's super confusing. It, <laughs> so is, it is confusing. Though. It I is think good that he mentioned yeah. this at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and this is also, yeah, as with most Russian books, I'm glad that there is an explanation Uh, not an explanation, but like, uh, like with a play, you have a list of characters here in the beginning. So yeah, it is nice to know that the main character, Oskolnikov, can be referred to as Oskolnikov, Rodion, Rotka, Rotya, Rotya Romanovich, Rodion Romanovich, Oskolnikov. Like there's lots of ways in which you can address this guy. And also father. Which was a, uh, by this, there's the note, um, yeah. in the main thing that when this, the victim of the crime later on, it turns out, who's basically a stranger to this guy, um, apart from maybe like a business setting, refers to him as father, because apparently you can do that in Russia to men. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, actually, I was trying to summarize the book, right? Yeah. The first part. Uh, so, okay. So that, that guy with the multiple names, he's, He's not exactly a chill dude, let's put it that way. For well, he used to be a student in law, I believe. And so I don't think it's actually entirely clear why he's not a student anymore. Well, they said because he couldn't afford it, right? Yeah, I think he can't afford it in the beginning. So he used to, to teach, but that was um, too little to allow him to continue his studies, um, which is why he had to pause them pretty much so he now refers to himself as a former student i think this is mm -hmm. something so and then he receives a letter so he's very poor and i think from what i what you can sense is that he's not entirely used to being in this situation of poverty and also doesn't do him well psychologically or emotionally as far as i understand <laughs> And then he receives a letter from his mother who tells him about about his sister getting married or being engaged to a, what's his name? Oh, don't ask me. Uh, yes, um, a stranger basically, right? Like that's the, I'm sure he, yeah. I'm sure he'll become more important later on, but I haven't remembered. Uh, I know Lucien is his name, right? Lucien Piotr Petrovich, and he's a, a, a man of business. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> Businessman. But um, Moskornikov doesn't approve of this in engagement at all, but he feels like it's 
partly his fault and that he can't really do anything about it because I think um, one reason for the engagement is that Lucin, so this man of business, has money, so he will obviously stay in his sister and um, I think also help the mother. So Raskolnikov feels guilty because he, rather than being able to send money to his sister and his mother, he's actually receiving money from them, which is why he believes he needs to do something about about this and kind of like rescue his sister from this um, engagement, so to say. And so then he decides to murder Alyona Ivanov, who's a a pawnbroker, who he has pretty much given all his um, valuables to, and the idea is to steal, to to murder her and to to steal, not entirely sure whether he only wants to steal back his stuff initially or whether he's intending to take more. Anyway, he gets an aches and at a time where he knows that Ilyona is going to be alone at home, he goes there and murders her. Um, he's then surprised by Ilyona's sister, who he murders as well because she's there at the wrong place. And then he runs back home well, and that's pretty much... Pardon? Was you You might as well. Yeah. No, obviously because she would have been a witness. Um, and he managed to escape and made it back home. And that's pretty much the the end of part one. Or and that's the end of our discussion. So thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but what I find interesting, so I think you got, that's kind of interesting. You There's one thing you said there that I think is not actually correct. And that is you okay. said, Please I don't know correct. whether you said it intentionally, <laughs> but you said that he received this letter and then he decides to kill this woman. But he actually, the, the very the beginning of the first chapter, or in the very first chapter, when he, he visits her, right? He already visits her to check out all the stuff. So he actually already has this plan before he receives the letter from his mother. And that's, that's true, but it, Sorry? <laughs> I mean, what I find interesting is that he... So what I want to say is that in a way this seems like... In part, this is written as if this guy has no volition or no no uh, ability to choose over his actions in a way and there's sometimes it's written like he says like he's almost like automatically doing this stuff and blah blah um and that, also what i mean is that before he actually receives the letter he visits this woman right he says he needs to pawn something but he basically just wants to check out the location see where everything is so he can steal it then afterwards and then he goes to a bar where he listens to this old guy basically drunkenly tell him a story about how he fucked up his life and how he fucked up the life of his family especially his daughter who's now a prostitute and then he visits that guy's family and sees kind of the misery that this old I can't remember what his former job was but that this old guy put his family into particularly you know his wife and his daughter and then after that Raskolnikov receives the letter um, and basically sees that what he's doing, he's doing the same thing that this guy is doing to his family. And I think he's, I'm never quite sure like how to interpret this because it's always kept kind of vague, but it's not that his sister's, you know, prostituting herself, but she's just marrying some random dude, right? 
anyway, but what I find interesting here is that it's from all these events, right? It seems almost like it was, he was pushed into it a bit, right? Like he, he sees this misery that's going to happen and as if there's only one, one way out of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but he has planned it kind of even before then. He, like, that's the first scene, I think, if I remember correctly, him going there to check out how we can steal the stuff. Right. And he talks about the axe already then. Yeah. Okay, so um, um, then maybe I misunderstood it, but for me, it, it felt like this was a very vague kind of like idea. It seemed to me, and then like the trigger for actually doing it was the letter. But so I mean, so what's okay? So one thing that I, so in a way, I agree with you. I, I think that's the way it's written, but I don't think. I mean, this might be a nuance here, but. I think in a way it's written from his perspective almost to justify that he he you know didn't mean to or I don't know something like that. But what I find interesting is that like one thing that really stayed with me from a just writing perspective is one of the first I think this is on one of the first pages when he walks to um wait what's her name again? Aliona. Aliona. Uh when he walks to her house one of the first thing he thinks of is his hat that he's wearing. Because yeah. he's wearing an unusual German style hat or something like that. I don't know the exact details here, but he walks through the streets and then he remembers, oh no, I'm wearing this hat. People are going to recognize me. So to me, like, and this is already like, I, he's, he's rehearsing this whole thing, right? He's going through it and saying, okay, I can't be wearing that hat because then people recognize me and I need to be as inconspicuous as I can. So, I mean, to me, it's, in a way, in the end, it almost feels like he did it uh, without even wanting to. But it's also super planned, the whole thing. Like, he, he even had planned, like, how he makes, how he can hide the axe in his jacket and all this kind of stuff. Like, he's really thought this through, in a way. Right? Yes, but then when he eventually decides to do it, it feels like... It feels like this is almost like a spontaneous. So I completely agree with him that, that he's like um, planned it through and also like knows exactly when um, the, the, the the girl in the kitchen is not going to be there, so he can get the axe, etc. Yeah. Um, but then when he decides to do it, he's almost like it's almost spontaneous, and it's almost like it's it's not him making the decision but it just he is get goes into some sort of trance like trance like states and simply follows i don't know follows follows his um it, it, it almost appears if he was following some orders of something but it's not he who consciously decides to do this yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. And th th this is like one thing that one thing that I find interesting about it is that there is clearly that part to it, but there is, you know, also this clearly planned thing. So, I mean, one thing I'll probably say is this was planned ahead, but very poorly. Um, so he thinks about all these things that can happen, how he has to go through the back entrance of the thing. And, you know, as I said, he finds out by chance when this woman will be on her own when her sister won't be there so he can kill her and like everything in a way is planned there but it's just planned very poorly and i mean this is also when i said earlier that i'm not entirely sure why he's not a student anymore i wonder whether it was really just the finances yeah i mean at least right now he seems completely 
incapable of thinking straight. I mean, mm. the, the whole thing is also like, you have the situation where you're poor, you're not, you don't know how to deal with it. And it seems like because of this, your, you know, your family is basically sacrificing their own happiness for you to be able to be the student. And somehow the only solution that he can think of is to murder an old lady to steal her things. Like he's thought about the murder almost before he thought about the theft, it seems. Like he could have somehow maybe tried to steal something else from someone else, right? Like it's just so. Like, none of it really makes any sense. And this is not a criticism to the author, right? Um, it's just the, the, the state of mind of Askolnikov is just all over the place. Like, it's, yeah, he's not, he's not thinking anything through properly. Yeah. But then again, she was kind of like an obvious victim because of two reasons. First of all, seems to be one of the very few people he knows who has a lot of money and valuables. Um, and then secondly, there's this thing about her that, so when he overhears the conversation um, in, in the bar of um, the two men talking about her, they say something very interesting and they, they talk about how much she's actually brought um, or destroyed other people's lives and accumulated wealth um, through her profession and they kind of like um, one of them suggested she would better be killed or something along those lines, but doesn't really mean it. Um, but they still talk about whether killing her would be because it, it would help so many people in a way, or it could help many people, whether the crime of, of killing her wouldn't actually be smaller than letting to continue letting her continue destroying other people's lives and i think uh, actually um there's one sentence um which i marked which says won't thousands of good deeds iron out one tiny little crime i mean this is like um i think like a, an interesting question but because of that because she's bringing so many uh, destroying so many lives she is in a way an obvious victim no yep i know and this um I mean, yeah, I, I, so here's the thing. He hears that and that's, I mean, it's not a legal, <laughs> not a good legal argument, but it's, it's a moral case you can make and I understand that. But the thing is, he doesn't think it through. He just hears that and goes like, Oh yeah. It's almost, it seems to me almost like, you know, like he was just looking for, yeah, it might as well be her then. But. I don't know. It just seemed weird to me that a guy who supposedly wants to be and being a student in like 1850 is a different thing than being a student now, right? Mm. Um, like the, that, the only thing he can think of also seems to be like, okay, teaching didn't work out. Okay, I'm going to steal stuff then, <laughs> and if I'm yeah, going to do that, just... it might as well be this poor, terrible person. But don't you think also it's partly because he wants to have his stuff back, so it feels like at know. least. Because he feels like it rightfully belongs to him, and but he will probably never ever see it again. So yes, but I I feel like if that had been the case, he would have thought more about the things that he wanted back. The only time that we really hear about what he gave her is they mentioned briefly. I think the first time he went, yeah, after the first time he went, that that's when he overheard this conversation between the two people, and there again he gave away like his this ring that his sister gave him. 
because、mm-hmm. she wanted him to think of her. So that's the first thing he gave away.、Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think he cared too much about the stuff. I mean, yeah, 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 maybe. But it's. I mean, that's that's the yeah. What I find interesting is this difference between it. It kind of all makes sense. His argument, like the the way it's put out. But it doesn't seem to me like he ever thinks anything through properly. It it seems. I mean, he's not in a state to think things through, right? In one, I can't remember where this is. In at one part, he like he's so hungry and drinks a bit of vodka and then passes out and has this terrible. Oh yeah, this terrible dream about the horse.、Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't like reading that part.、Um, mm. That was. I, I I meant to look it up. Isn't that also what happened to Nietzsche? So in this maybe in, briefly in this dream, that's a really horrible dream that he has. When he's just passed out, I think in the middle of the day, just <laughs> like he's just—he's not in a good physiological or psychological state.、Um, he has this dream of him being a kid with his father, and then they somehow they—what's exactly the scene? They watch this group of young men. Well, it seems like they're all kind of drunk and a bit、uh, rambunctious and.、Uh, He starts with one of the guys. Starts with, he has a horse and a cart, and it's an old horse. And he starts whipping his horse,、uh, and he says, "Like everyone, go in the cart. We're driving." And people say, "Like no, no, the, the, you have an old, weak horse. Like it can't carry all of us." It's weird. I mean, in a way, I think he's just look, he just wants to beat the shit out of his horse, and he's just looking for excuse to do so. And then he starts just whipping his horse、uh, relentlessly, and the other people start whipping the horse also, and then. At the end, like six people are just whipping this horse across the eyes and the nose and everything, and in the end, the guy takes like a big. I think he starts with off like a big piece of wood, and then he ends up as a crowbar, just bashes onto the horse until it dies. And the interesting thing is here, apart from the fact that this was I actually this was quite horrible to read,、uh, is that is I think. If I remember correctly, this was kind of what happened to Nietzsche when he had a mental breakdown. That someone that there were people whipping a horse in a public place, and then he couldn't t- take it, and then like went to the like ran to the horse and like held it in his arms the way Raskolnikov did as a kid, also after the horse was dead, and said like you can't do this to the horse. Really?、Um, yeah. I don't, anyway,、um, my, what I was trying to get at there was more that he. I mean, he just passed out in the middle of the day, right? Or maybe it was in the evening. I can't remember. But he's just—it was in the middle of the day. But then again, he he had a glass of vodka on an empty stomach, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also don't know what a glass of vodka means in Russia. Yeah, I like what?、Well, yeah. I don't know what exactly we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, this. But the thing is, like, this is just his general state. I'm in a way, I'm I'm defending his poor, or him not thinking stuff through. Yeah, he's in complete, just... yeah, complete despair. Yeah,、um, and I think is he doesn't. And that's what I meant at the beginning. He doesn't seem to be able to deal with this situation because it doesn't seem to be situation he's been in before. At least not to that extent.、Uh, it's an assumption, but he's not、um, a smart, poor person who's learned to live on the streets and and find a way. But he's emotionally, physically,、um, yeah, on all all levels, in complete despair. It seems. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, he's he's not in a in a happy place. 
at any point in the first part. Um, actually, one thing uh, that I wanted to talk about very briefly is the translation, and it relates to this, is that... Uh, so I actually read the first part in German a few years ago in the... I don't know by whom, but the DTV has an edition, and I read that one. And I think this this translation here that we have now, Bolivar really suits the state of mind that Oskolnikov has a lot better um, than at least the German one. Because I think the, the English one kind of maintains this kind of frenzied state of mind that he has, mm-hmm. whereas the German is a more, you know, like a 19th century author who's like a more traditional mm-hmm. classical way of telling this thing. Everything's a bit calmer, sentences are a bit longer and all this kind of stuff. Whereas I feel like this one, uh, this is something... You know, I'm often quite critical of translations, but this one doesn't really feel like it's much of a translation. Um, mm. Of course, you are like translating from a foreign culture, but it feels like very natural. And I think one thing that he gets across really well is this kind of complete despair that Oskolnikov yeah. finds himself in. Yeah. What I also find is, is, this, is this constant state, you know, that something bad is coming. And I don't, sometimes it's explicit um, in a way that he's like, kind of like asking himself, am I really going to do this? Can I really do something yeah. like this? But sometimes it's also less explicit, but there's this constant feel when you read the first part of the first hundred pages that even without knowing the title, Crime, Crime and Punishment, but you know something is coming. And it's it's, and I think this is partly because of the language. It feels like it's such a t- turmoil within him and pretty much, yeah, around him. That you know this is like at some point it's just gonna X or implode in some way. Yeah. I mean I think yeah, I agree. I think it's also because, you know, as you said, like I think this is in the first chapter where he says where he does this kind of rehearsal and mm-hmm. visits uh, the woman and everything. Like he's already thinking about all these things, like, am I really gonna do this? Uh I, or even then just thinking of like, oh, I did that wrong. If I do this, then people will recognize me. And just then already being very defensive about everything. And mm. Yeah. Although at that point, you don't really know exactly what he's going to do. You know that he's yeah. up to something, maybe. He's def- but... Well, I think at the beginning, it seems like he's just trying to steal something. I think it's fairly obvious, like when he goes to this pawnbroker and he looks at like, okay, here's where all the money is and here's that and here's where mm. she keeps the keys. Mm. I think it's fairly clear that he's trying to steal something there, but... Yeah, but that's what that's what I found so interesting that then he I mean so the thing is he's trying to steal from an elderly lady, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't remember any there's probably some in there, but I can't remember what he's described as physically. But you would on average imagine that a young, at least somewhat healthy guy, could overwhelm an old lady. And he you know, it's not that he how should we say? To me, the violence somehow is part of the whole thing for him. Because like, if I think about I'm going to steal something from this old lady, I'm not going to bring a fucking axe. (laughs) You don't need an axe. He knows the person. He gets in. Like, He doesn't need an axe to break in. Like, worst case, he could have brought, like, a pipe or something. Like, you don't need a fucking axe to overwhelm an old lady. Yeah. Although, because he is at some point, he says that he's already, uh, he would he also has got some, what do you call it, like clippers or scissors, a, a knife or something, like a small... Oh, like a pocket knife, yeah. Yeah, something like yeah. Um, a, a small tool or weapon. But then he 
um, decides against it. And I think that maybe has two reasons. One of them, he really wants to ensure that it, that he's going to be successful. And then also, isn't it a bit more, um, maybe a, a, you keep a bit more distance. I imagine if you kind of like, for example, yeah, really with a, with a small pocket knife, there's probably going to be a bit more fighting and a bit more like having to hold somebody down and like, Unless you really manage with the first punch to to knock them out, but but an axe is like yes, it's, there's a bit more distance between the the murderer and the murdery, <laughs> murdery, and then also it's you know like you can more easily knock somebody out immediately, and you don't really have to come physically close. And I can imagine, especially because he's on some level knowing that what what he's doing is completely wrong maybe he wouldn't have had the strength to carry it through if it would if it would have been a bit more difficult yeah that's a fair point and uh should obviously also clarify that he doesn't hit her with the blade of the axe right he uses it uses it as a blunt weapon and you're right i think he uh, i mean he hits her on the crown of the head so she was facing away from him right um i think she was turned away and then so, he yeah. hits on the head three times or something which, mm-hmm. man, hitting someone on the head three times is... Oh, that's going to be mushy by the latest the third time you hit on it. Oh, mm-hmm. um, but I, but again, like... Wh- okay, I get, like, you know, what you said earlier, that he, in a way, killing her isn't... You know, there's this, like, moral question, like, if one person does lots of harm to lots of people, is it justified to, I guess, take that person out so that person can't harm all the other people? Uh, wait, what was I saying? So I, I understand um, that aspect of it, but he could have, like, I don't know. There, there are other ways to go about this, <laughs> just to bash someone on the score. And I wonder, I mean, this is going to, we're going to see in the next um, parts, but I wonder how <sighs> he's not really, like, um, making up for. So what is he going to do? Because it's, it's obviously the, the idea is that so many people suffer because of her, but is he then going to, from what he's stolen, is he going to give some money to other people? And if, if not, if he's just keeping it for himself, then he hasn't really, then that moral question is out of the window because then he, um, he doesn't really make up for, for the suffering that she's caused. Um, also, and uh, then just to add, sorry, add to that point. He actually isn't helping the people who pawn who pawn something from him. I don't think so. I don't know exactly what the legal status is of these kind of things. But the thing is that what they write about is that the one reason why this woman is such a bad person is because she's living with her sister, and she's you know keeping her almost as a slave. What they say. But then he's calling uh, killing the sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> so no, no that's not my point. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, that was you know in a way. Oh, well, that's a different thing we can talk about later. But my point is more that uh, one thing that the that these two men that Oskolnikov over here is talking, um, one thing that they say is so bad about her is that she's not giving any of her will to her sister, but she's giving it all away to some monastery or something. Right? Yeah. She has a will where everything of hers goes away. So now I'm assuming if you're a pawnbroker, doesn't all your stuff then go to the monastery? It doesn't go to the people, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not sure how much he's taken, but I assume that 
because he didn't he didn't take the box, did he? I, that's actually one thing that was slightly unclear to me. I don't know whether he actually took anything. He took. Oh, he took he, the wallet, her purse. Yeah, he took the wallet. He took her um, purse, but that's pretty much it, right? Because I think he couldn't open the rest. He he. Do you open the box under the bed? No. Yeah, um, but then, I think then just, the sister came in, right? Yeah, but I'm not sure whether he took something from the the box because I think there was something in there, something valuable, not only the dress, but it was like a yeah, watch yeah. or something. But if I remember correctly, I mean, like when he comes home, there's no mentioning of the box or anything, right? So I'm assuming yeah, he didn't take yeah. it. So probably also because he was kind of like um, fleeing and like he would have mentioned yeah. if he had been carrying a large object, but maybe he That's took That's what I mean, something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then... Um, the, the, the next thing is also that the situation is not black and white and that she's a bad person um, and therefore deserves to be killed. But in many ways, like the people who come to her, she's like, although she ends up charging too much, but for her, they, people do come to her initially because she gives them some money. So in some weird way, she's also there, um, you know, rescue as well as downfall like you know because she's giving us money but then they um obviously she has like ridiculous charges etc so although we should also add by today's standards her she has like interest rates of like nine percent or something right we're not talking about like uh the people now who can do i think it's like illegal now most countries but I remember seeing some ads in the UK a few years ago with like 900% interest or something, you know. So she's not at that level, but yeah, she's charging more yeah. than at least it seems most people are. Yeah. But yeah, but when we, by killing her, you're not really changing, he's not changing the system and the people who didn't, who came yeah. to her because of it to request the money, money still has the same problems. So yeah, so in, in terms of the moral question, I don't really think that it, this holds here. Because it's 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 an, no benefit to anybody other than maybe the monastery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which this might is all receive. the monastery's plot. <laughs> <laughs> they planted all those people around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, he's not. He's not. He's ba- he's mainly. He's primarily solving his own problem, and maybe also solving other people's problem. But then again, only on a very short-term basis i mean the 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 people who don't have money and lend money at high interest rates and that's the problem because that's usually just a cycle that uh reinforces itself mm-hmm. um but yeah she's just a small cog in that whole system she's not i don't think she's doing anything particularly unusual she's you know she's also that what i find also interesting is that she somehow seems to have this power without really seeming to have any so that she so what the one thing they criticize is that like as soon as you're late with your payments to her, she'll like your object will just disappear or something, right? Mm. So in a way she like holds this strong power over people. But she's not like the kind of person who has like a gang of people who will like find your home and beat you up, right? Mm. She's like her sure. her evil is is like in the like when you look at like these kind of books, right? the bad things she does is pretty limited compared to what a lot of at least other literary characters would do in this kind of situation. Um, so, I mean, all that happens is if you're, if you're late with your payment, she, I mean, she, yeah, she's just very strict with her financial stuff, but somehow she, she doesn't really have any power, right? Like if you don't, she's just a random person, basically. If you don't go to her and give her your stuff, you're not, nothing's going to happen. 
Yeah. I wonder, because it's almost like it seems like, why didn't this happen before? Especially because she yeah, exactly. destroyed so many people's lives. Why didn't some anybody before try to, to steal stuff from her or um, kill her? And but then there's something because she usually doesn't leave the house, so it seems to me. I think it's mentioned uh, towards the end of the first part. Um, so that for me, I took this a bit like um, as indirect, indirect sign that she was maybe a bit aware of her situation, that it might be dangerous, and that some people might be very, um, how do you say, disgruntled towards her. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, that something like this might happen. And also when he first knocks, she doesn't really want to open. So I think maybe on some level, though, she had this immense authority over people, surprisingly. But then she probably also knew that this was on somewhat shaky grounds. Um, what, yeah, exactly. What and she she doesn't didn't even recognize him, right? I think because she doesn't see mm. particularly well or something. I mean, if you if you wanted to... Uh, tell the story from her perspective you could probably tell it as a story of an old lady who's just trying to get by and uh, you know is in constant fear of someone robbing her or something and then a guy comes along and <laughs> hits her with, on the head with an axe yeah. I mean, well that would, that would be a shorter book then <laughs> oh well I mean I don't know maybe she has some internal moral dilemmas she's going through yeah, you know. it's like oh this person's really suffering mm-hmm. but I'm also suffering I need the money yeah. well everyone yeah. actually everyone says she has a lot of money uh, again this is not her saying it but this is just an outside voice and again this is not again this is just kind of what I, what I find where Raskolnikov doesn't think things through properly he just hears one account of rumors is the next thing right he never talked to the sister and asked her like what it's like or anything, right? Mm. He just hears, overhears a young guy telling a story in a pub to another guy, right? And guys tell a lot of stories in pubs. And that's all he basically has to go on, right? He does. And his own experiences of, of uh, overcharging or whatever, but that's it. But do you think that it's almost a... It, is, it just gives him... Some more assurance. Um, I think this a like, core pub situation, and um, when uh, him overhearing people, the two men discussing whether she should be killed and whether that would this like immoral deed would um, cover the old all, all the immoral deeds that she's done. Uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting question, but as we we've. Um, as we agree on it doesn't really make sense in this case but it almost feels like he doesn't want to think about this in more detail but he just wants to have more assurance and reasons for why his actions yeah to support his actions yeah that's what i mean he's he's yeah it gives him like an easy way out to go like oh yeah what i'm doing is justified rather Mm. than um you know especially i mean i don't know what exactly a legal student did in 1850 whatever but you'd imagine that they'd have a bit more training and actually figuring out what's true and not just going like oh well someone said it therefore it has to be true um and therefore i'm morally somewhat justified in my actions he just i think he's just looking for an, yeah, mm, justification. an easy way out and a justification for it yeah mm. um although is the easy way out i just wonder what would would it would have been the other way out so that he um his sister gets married 
to this um, businessman and then he might receive some money from him or the businessman might be able to help him find a job, etc. But yeah, I don't know. Um, it's like in his like, um, current situation, it, it seems like from there's at least that's the impression the, the reader gets, I think that it very much seems like from his side, there's nothing he can do, no action he can take to get himself out of the situation other than doing something illegal. Well, he could have like lied to his family, right? Uh, maybe lying to your family is worse than killing an old lady. But um, like he could have, like the, the the whole thing that gets him in this mess is that basically he's he's living off his mother's small pension right that's the whole problem like his mm. i don't know what happens to his father i can't remember i guess he died um mm -hmm. anyway his mother has a small pension from which she feeds herself her daughter and raskolnikov uh, and she also like knits scarves or something um from which she makes like a fair amount relative to her pension in addition um, and raskolnikov is living off that right so like one step and sorry and the, and the sister um, and like, well, this money isn't enough for the three of them. And his sister then marries this guy because that's the only way they see that they can support, not the only way, but at least the easiest way for them also that they can mm. support Oskonikov being a student again. I don't know. He may Well, be they don't know. They don't know that he is not a student anymore. I think so, right? I can't. I think in a lesser amount of students. It's to support his students. Anyway, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's to support his studies, right? That's the, yeah. whole, the whole point. Okay. Maybe they think he's a student, but the reason that the system marries this guy is because this is a, fun, a financial way out of their misery. Let's put it that way. Maybe he could have just said like, Oh yeah, I got a job. And then mm. it's <laughs> like, maybe then his system said like, Oh yeah, I guess then I don't need to. Then we're financially more settled. I don't know. Like his sister and his mother haven't seen him in years. Is he could just, he could tell them anything. Yeah, but I wonder what. Yeah, yeah. What I wasn't so clear about is why the marriage would have been such a disaster. It's. Um, I mean, I guess that maybe doesn't seem like this is a love marriage, and therefore he can't know that the, the businessman will treat his sister well. However, it seems like such a strong response. He doesn't want his sister to to get married to this guy. Such an extent that I almost wonder whether there's something like another level of or, or is it, what is it, why can't he? Because it seems like he does want to be more involved in his sister's and his mother's life, make some decision or... Or um, I don't know, change something about about their situation. So, but just telling them, listen, I've got a job now. You don't need to send me any money. It's almost as if he would be removing himself. But it seems like his reaction was so strong. So I wonder whether he he wants to be, you know, the, the man of the family and wants to ensure that his sister doesn't get married off. And and to be the man of the family, he needs to have some kind of money yeah i mean so two things i guess i could comment on that the first thing is that part of it is just emotionally driven by the fact that just before he received the letter 
like just before he received the letter, he saw this family in complete misery where the daughter prostituted herself and that kind of mm. stuff. But, so it's just this analogy going like, oh, look, that guy is living off the cost of his family. And now like they're all miserable, like completely miserable. The, the, the neighborhood made like the door was open or something, right? And the neighbors looked in and like mm. almost like laughed at them and everything. It was just internal misery and uh, uh, social stigma attached with it and all that kind of stuff, right? Like I think in part this is just, he saw an analogous situation just before and thought like, oh, this can't, I can't make, let this happen, right? Which is not, you know, the, necessarily the thought through thing, but I can understand mm. how like that can have a strong effect on you, right? Yeah, the second thing is, yeah, or oh, I can't remember whether I had a second thing, but the second thing is more about the yeah the question you asked there, why he has such a problem with it, and yeah, I'm not entirely sure either because it seems like the I mean it, it seems like the the guy the Lucian guy just doesn't care about his sister in a way like he doesn't seem like he'd he'd care enough to be abusive right <laughs> like it's he just seems like a guy who wants an arranged marriage more or less where he can have a a wife and they can have a family and then they they like it's a very business like mm. thing right mm. um it, it seems like he his sister wouldn't really see much of the guy anyway like i don't know and it it doesn't i also i'm not getting the impression that Raskolnikov is a huge romantic in the sense that he thinks every marriage should be out of love and all that like there's never any mention of love from his mm. side right nothing at all somehow so I, I don't know whether that would be motivation for him yeah. yeah so i wonder what it is is something to do with um pride and being like because if another man has to jump in to i see you mean like before he could have been the student himself and could have been the genius, but now, especially because yeah. they want, the, yeah, they also want the, the, like Askolnikov to work for Lucin, right? Yeah. So now he's just like helping out almost and got there through connections. And also, I mean, you know, like obviously as a as a man in particular, um, especially during this time, I imagine being, being head of a family um, and being the strong male and being the one who kind of like looks after your mother and your sister once your dad has passed probably was more important than it might be now. And then if somebody else kind of like jumps in and then he would be employed to him, maybe, maybe that's like the, the, yeah, one, one reason for why this whole situation, the idea of his sister getting married is so difficult for him yeah that could be i'm trying to think whether we like know anything about him like in terms of whether he like what you say makes complete sense i'm just trying to f see whether i can remember anything that relates to it because i can't remember like him going like i have to be the man of the hat right like mm -hmm. i could but yeah it makes sense what you say but yeah but yeah, or maybe there's something we don't know yet. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, of course we've we've read the first sixth. So yeah, I don't know. Like in a way, that's that's the funny thing, right? We've read a hundred pages that are not all, but a large part is about Rosgonikov and what he's doing, mm -hmm. and we don't really know that much about him, right? No, there's fairly little um, biographical information. Other than, yeah, the stuff we mentioned, he's a former student of mm. law. He's poor. He's not dealing well with it. But that's probably also the nature of very moments of despair that one 
is very obsessed about uh, the problem at ha- at hand and there's a lot what of, reduces to that then yeah and there's a lot of circular thinking more forward and back thinking back yeah yeah because i mean another thing like that he could have done right i mean yeah one thing is interesting you said that because it is like one thing i thought earlier is that his entire the entire hundred pages right i mean there's of course like explaining the family stuff and that, that takes a bit but like in a hundred pages he all he really thinks about is this crime he's going to commit and yeah, that's what I mean. He seems to lack kind of the freedom to just take a step back and say, like, okay, what are my options? <laughs> like, what yeah. are, like, even hypothetically, what could I do to get out of this myself? I mean, for example, there's, you know, there's also this friend he mentions who got him the teaching job or something. Um, so. This is only super short because he basically says, oh, I could visit this friend. I mean, his friend also, like, this guy doesn't have friends, right? He seems... He doesn't seem like, even before this misery, he didn't seem like the most fun person. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he basically didn't have any friends, right? But there was this one guy he got along with, and that guy got him a teaching job or something like that, or helped him get one. And then he thinks, oh, I could I could ask him whether I can, you know, get a teaching job again. But then he says, that, oh, I'll do that after the crime. It's like, mm. <laughs> I mean, mm. <laughs> really? <laughs> you want to murder someone before you? <laughs> see where, i mean of course the teaching wasn't enough i get it but um, yeah. yeah yeah but yeah it, it, you are right like his his entire worldview that we experience in the in the first hundred pages is restricted to the crime and motivations for it kind of right there's it's it's very yeah his thinking is very restricted yeah well i'm interested to see What's going to happen next? So the next, for the next um, discussion, we will have read up to. Well, just part two, right? Yeah. Where does part two end? Yeah. It's it's the longest part. Part two is slightly longer than the others, but. Okay. So up to, yeah, up to 232. I mean, it's easy to just say just until the end of part two, right? (laughs) Because in case people are using other versions. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I don't know if people like listening to this, maybe they'll listen to the other one too. (laughs) We'll we'll see what the retention rate is between episode one and episode two. (laughs) It would be great to see just exponential decay within the episode like everyone just stopped <laughs> listening after two minutes and exponential decay it is possible, within the it epi- is possible. Uh, between episodes yeah but mm-hmm. that's fine we're not doing it for them we're doing it because otherwise i just not finish reading these long books but get distracted <laughs> along the way yeah same here okay. Hello, this is the second episode of a still unnamed podcast in which we are talking about Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. This is the second episode in which we're going to discuss part two. In the first episode, we discussed part one. If you didn't listen to the first part, then maybe do that first. Or at the very least, 
read the first part uh, and we're also assuming that you've read the second part and so yeah as there's going to be lots of spoilers so i think like last time it's probably good to have a very brief summary of what happened in part two it's 110 pages with a lot of plot points so i think i'm just going to briefly summarize what happens i think what i'm going to do is a two or three sentence summary for each chapter uh, like really go i'm just going to go through it chapter by mm -hmm. chapter right um so the end of chapter of part one that's going to had murdered those women returned home so that's where we now start in in the first chapter of part two so he's at home he's uh, he stayed in bed all night and slept half of the next day he wakes up and then tries to hide the evidence of what he had so he uh, did take some items from the house he tries to hide that in some hole in the wall or whatever behind the wallpaper he tries to you know just remove all the evidence that the, he has some blood stains on the bottom of his trousers um tries to get rid of that and then kind of whilst he's doing that he gets a letter and is summoned to the police station so like a good boy he goes to the police station um and obviously assumes that this is about the murder but it has nothing to do with that uh, they, the police just wants him here because his landlady got really fed up that he hadn't paid his rent basically for months. The police talks about the murder and I think they have some suspects or something like that. They're starting to work on it. But, you know, no one's assuming that Oskolnikov is the murder. And then when they talk about it, he loses his shit and faints <laughs> on the spot. And then they carry him home. Chapter two, then Oskolnikov goes home and tries to hide basically the evidence of anything, of all the stuff that he stole. So he took everything and wanders around St. Petersburg, finds a big rock somewhere in the middle of in some back alley and basically hides it all underneath some random, underneath this random rock. The rock happens to be close to his friend Razumikin, the one that he doesn't, he wanted to, but then didn't visit in part one. Then he is exceedingly erratic when he visits his friend he's uh, his friend offers again to help him out with some money or something but Askolnikov just basically freaks out and leaves again he then goes home falls asleep and basically hallucinates or has a nightmare about the policeman beating his landlady but then it turns out that yeah he just hallucinated that none of that happened in chapter three then he continues or basically he falls into like feverish dreams or sleep for three to four days or something like that and he's um visited by his friend Azumikin, the police the maid and all sorts of people who happen to be in this like very small room but it turns out that during his kind of feverish ramblings he said a few things that related to the murder he didn't make it obvious that he had anything to do with it, but he said quite a few words that had something to do with it. Nonetheless, none of the people really suspected here that he had anything to do with the murder. In chapter four, then, the doctor arrives on the scene. So it's now the doctor, Azumikin, Oskolnikov, the maid, and maybe someone else in the room. Basically, the doctor and Azumikin talk about the murder because it's, you know, big local news that two people were murdered in this house just right uh, across the corner. They report how the police are, you know, interviewing suspects and getting the investigation going. Again, no one's here suspecting Oskolnikov at all. Um, but interestingly, they actually get the story of what happened pretty accurately. So Azumikin pretty much summarizes what happens, and it's almost exactly what happened. So they already have managed to pretty much recreate 
what happened and they mentioned that maybe someone even saw the murderer because there's always lots of people around there um in chapter five then we get a visit from a new man a strange man who just arrives and who no one knows and it's lucine the the what's the dirt fiance thank you <laughs> um the fiance of Raskolnikov's sister he seems to be he's i don't actually know whether he's particularly good looking per se but he seems to have really tried to make an effort to impress Raskolnikov. he really dressed in his best clothes and was very very well groomed all this kind of stuff in any case Raskolnikov is uh as in the entire book just completely unbearable and <laughs> basically he doesn't in the beginning he's just very rude to him and ignores him and pretends to be in his feverish hallucinations but then as they keep talking as everyone keeps talking about the murder that happened and all this kind of stuff i can't remember exactly what happens but at the end he kind of throws lucian out and people are considering whether he maybe even ruined the entire engagement to his sister whatever is going on there then in the sixth chapter raskolnikov decides that he can't continue living like this with this kind of guilt and he says he wants to end it all and basically there are two ways that he can do that first would be through suicide the second would be by handing himself into the police and he kind of considers both in this chapter he the suicide he witnesses a suicide or an attempted suicide where a woman jumps off a bridge into the river and is then rescued by the police or some man i can't remember and i think when he sees that he decides against that and also he throughout this chapter he really basically he doesn't he considers confessing but he never quite has the guts to do it so he just behaves incredibly weirdly to the policeman who he happens to meet in a bar and then he also visits the flat in which he murdered the woman and you know just walks about um the flat's being renovated by people and he again behaves incredibly uh, he basically provokes almost people to bring him to get him to the police but doesn't say why at this point people are still just very confused by him and his behavior uh, but no one actually so far really suspects too much but then in chapter seven it seems like we get quite a plot twist in the first part Oskolnikov met this drunken man who basically told him that he you know drank away his his fortune and his standing in society and made his entire family miserable that man now happens to get uh, run over or something like that by a or basically he falls drunkly into the street and then a few horses run him over uh, Raskolnikov happens to be there he recognizes the man brings him home to his family and the man dies and also i can't remember maybe this also already happened in chapter six i can't remember but razumikin kind of alludes that the policeman is starting to have some weird thoughts about Raskolnikov. He doesn't explicitly say that the policeman is considering whether Raskolnikov might have something to do with the murder, but he at least strongly alludes to it. Yeah, and then the the, the, the seventh chapter ends with, it seems, Raskolnikov's entire mood changed. Somehow he felt kind of uplifted or had new life spirit or felt a purpose to living or something when he saw the one of the daughters of this drunken man and i think he gave her all his money and all that kind of stuff and this whole act at least kind of shook him out of this frenzy that he's been having for basically part one and two and 
that's kind of where we are. And that was more than two sentences per chapter. <laughs> God, that took ages to say. That was like 10 minutes almost. Maybe I should write this out next time because it actually, I didn't plan to say this much. Yeah, it's probably a good idea to be very concise and just stick to. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but it's probably in terms for the uh, for the purpose of the podcast a bit too too long of a summary. So yeah, first impression of second part. My my impression was like he was like for the most part just completely out of his mind, and it's almost like kind of like a Kafkaesque situation so that as a reader I sometimes wasn't sure whether people were actually here or whether he was hallucinating because it starts with um, him thinking that the landlady is beaten outside of his door however he doesn't think about going outside looking or helping her and then and then turns out that this had never happened and all of a sudden there are lots of random people coming and going and it's just in combination with his state of mind, one wonders, is this actually happening? And what are they doing here? It just seems so surreal in a way that um, they're just like not leaving him alone. It almost, for me, it felt a bit like they were his kind of like obsessive thoughts or voices that wouldn't leave him alone. When in fact, um, it seems like they were actually there, um, his friend and the doctor and then the maid... But it's not really, I mean, um, at least for me, it wasn't really clear why all of a sudden all these people were there and had such a big interest in, in him. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I mean, when, you know, I wrote down notes, like after reading each chapter, I wrote down like a few bullet points just so I remember the plot mm -hmm. points to summarize it. And I also wrote like a few other things just down whilst I was at it. And one thing I wrote down after chapter two is like, okay, what's real, what's fiction, or uh, what's yeah. what's real, what's what's not real, as like a theme. But then somehow, it's, it's interesting that you say that, but I never actually, after that, thought about it for the rest of the part. I mean, it is true, like, it seems like in part one, no one, like he was left alone almost completely the entire time. And now suddenly there's always, I mean, it's always described as this tiny room, and now there's like usually four people in there or something. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think all of this actually happened. I mean, so Lucin visiting is very expected almost. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even mention his mum and his sister arrived right at the end. That's actually how the chapter ends, that they're in his room. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back, yeah. Um, but that's all kind of part already established in part one, right? That his sister and his mother come down, Lucin is arriving. So that, yeah. That all makes sense. And it kind of, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that the friend suddenly started caring for him so much because they hadn't seen each other for four months or something. And it seemed like they weren't super close. And yeah. Raskolnikov was just so weird that I'm surprised the friend even bothered looking at him. So this is where I thought there must be some agenda of this friend, whether this friend wants to take a cut of the money or which money so first is the money that he's being sent by his mum which his friend uses to buy Raskolnikov new clothing which is what you do as a friend you buy clothes for each other yeah no, but he, could have, he just like he just went out and got some new clothing 
Um, and I was wondering, is he going to keep some of the money as in kind of like, you know, a commission? Uh, but he didn't. He in turn returned all the change. Yeah, and I don't think, well, the thing is, uh, just briefly, initially, I don't think he knew about any of this, right? He just wanted to visit his, I mean, so here's the big question, right? What exactly did Raskolnikov say in those three to four days? Hmm. Because all we know is that Raskolnikov goes to the, has this first day where he goes to the police. Then he goes home, starts hallucinating. Then three or four days, we don't really know what happened. All we get is this reconstruction afterwards about them like saying like, oh, you did this thing or that thing. So I don't, I mean, the thing is, I guess the friend did initially visit Raskolnikov. I think just because I wanted to see him because he didn't know anything about any of this, right? He, Raskolnikov just came to him, bathed weirdly and left. I think that was all that happened. Mm. So I think the initial visit at least was out of being a friend, but well, yeah, I wonder what happened in that time in between. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been wondering as well. So does he know, does, does a friend know more than, than he says he knows? Because it's almost like if he would know about the murder and the stealing of the money and um, whatever was in these boxes, then he might, this might be the reason because maybe he's got leverage now and he'll be like, okay, either you give me half or I'm going to tell the police. So, But he could already have done that. So, But maybe he doesn't know where the money is. Or, well, yeah, but he could have already told Raskolnikov, like, hey, where is it? You know? Yes, uh, but then there are other people around. Or to be fair, one big question. So... Hmm, this is interesting. So Raskolnikov hid the stuff, then went into three to four days. So maybe it's not even there anymore. Hmm. Maybe the friend already has it. But then he wouldn't stick around, right? Maybe he thinks he has more. I don't know. Hmm. But I don't know. So what I find interesting, actually, uh, this is really interesting. So I didn't think about any of this while I read it or while I wrote notes. But here's the interesting thing, right? The... As I said earlier, the friend, it's the, so this is one thing I actually wrote down. Razumikin constructs the murder perfectly. He says, Oh, this must have happened. The murder must have hid there. Then they went down. He must have gone down into the empty flat, hid mm. there behind the thing. Everyone went up. Then he ran down. He got that like spot on. That happens after three, four days of raving. So maybe he does no more. I don't know. It is, it's a bit difficult for me to, so the first thing is, of course, this is, Russia in the 19th century. So maybe going out buying clothes for a friend is just a normal thing that chaps do. Maybe if someone's ill, you have to stick around. I don't know like exactly what the rules are here, but it is all a bit weird. But maybe he's just a nice guy. He seems to, you know, he has this party that he throws. Mm. He might just be a very sociable yeah. guy. I wonder also if, if everything, like the plot should be taken literally in a sense, because it could also be... Um, and I think this is something I alluded to at the beginning, this kind of like feeling of people just being so intrusive and not leaving your space. And, you know, if you think about his room, maybe it also is a bit of his um, mind and there are constantly people around and he just wants them to leave. He just wants to be alone. And he says that, alone. right? He yeah. says, like, I just want to be left alone, yeah. Yeah, so maybe this is just like this, like, friend does well or means well but then it's just constantly there and just doesn't leave him it could also be potentially seen a bit as um 
Um, in metaphor. 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 <laughs> something sounds wrong here. Metaphor for for something that's just so intru intrusive, although it kind of like it's not necessarily in itself a bad thing, but it's just and um, we can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, but yeah, they just won't leave him alone if he says so. I mean, but then again, like what the friend's supposed to do, right? He clearly sees that Raskolnikov is not well at all. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you have more on that point or no? Okay. Um, so I want, so this is just a really irrelevant thing that I just kept wondering about in this part, which is why are there so many Germans in this book? <laughs> it's somehow he has the German hat. There's the, in the police, the German lady. There's another German couple that owns the house in there. Mm. They, him and Laskalnikov are supposed to translate German books. It's just like, why is this so much German? But I think, uh, I think this is historically, you know, during that time, the Austrian and German, um, this, uh, like the, the Austrian Empire was still quite, quite big, a lot of German speaking people. Yeah, but there. they say Germans, right? Not Austrians. Yeah. yeah. And I assume but like, that, yeah. yeah, I don't know whether that was a, no, they would have, I don't know what they would but have. But I think, like, yeah, just as so I came, like my interpretation was that historically, you know, like, that that would have been generally the case that German, the German culture had a, maybe a bigger standing. Yeah. I mean, this was after like, uh, like Goethe, Beethoven, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like, this was also before Russia really had a huge culture of its own. So if all the Russian composers you can think of basically started with Dostoevsky. And the novelists, so there was, I mean, there were, yeah, it kind of all started with Dostoevsky. Like, I mean, they had, um, the, the big famous, uh, Pushkin is the big Russian poet, I think. Mm. But it kind of all started, like Tolstoy and all these people were later. So maybe it's just a cultural thing that Russia was, I mean, I don't know the history, but I think it hadn't existed in its state for that long. So I don't know, maybe it was like a new country and the, yeah, but I was, and the, anyway, one reason also I wanted to talk about this is that one thing that I find, found weird. So, you know, last time I said that the translation works very well mm -hmm. and it kind of captures the spirit and everything. So one thing that I found, um, tricky is the accent of the German woman in the first chapter. I don't know whether you remember that. The Vacant accent. Look says no. <laughs> No, I don't remember her accent. So there's this woman who's just being obnoxious in the police station, or I can't, well, not obnoxious, but she's in the police station and I can't remember what she wants. But he writes in kind of German accent, right? So it reads like, there was no noise and no fighting in my house, Herr Kapitän. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what she says in English. That's on page yeah. 121. Und sehr, so like instead of there, it's Z-E-R, right? Mm -hmm. um, there was no scandal, blah, blah. So, so like the accent thing works, but one thing I find really weird, and I don't know what exactly he's trying to do here, is the sentence structure is bizarre, but in a non-German way. So, for example, there's a sentence here where she says, I mean, I can't remember exactly what it's about. I think, she, yeah. Anyway, the sentence is, then he pottle take and begin pushing everyone behind mid pottle. And then he pottle take is not anything a German would ever say, right? 
I actually um, it stood out to me as well. But I I just thought you know sometimes when you try to speak in a foreign language and you try to get the sentence structure right. Do you, so it, that's yeah. So that's what I was. So this is one thing I was really wondering about because so. I don't know what, whether the Russian even has this in there. I'm assuming it would be kind of, yeah, I think I'm assuming the Russian has already this kind of fake German accent or German accent in there. Mm. But the weird thing here is that, so we're reading a book in English, right? Where we have a German accent, but the, the, the sentence structure is not anything a German would ever say. You would not say, then he pottle take. You would say, then he takes a pottle. Like that's how you'd say it in German, right? Mm-hmm. Um, dann hat er den irgendwas genommen. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, done air i don't even know what puddle is supposed to mean um, but do you think that's such a big thing you know because we make mistakes when we speak in a foreign language so it could just be like you know yeah but you'd make you'd make mistakes that say so not necessarily mis- i can i can try to speak french and i know the french sentence structure is different to the german one so now something is different but i will can still get it wrong yeah, but you'd get it wrong in a German way. No, I could be because like, you'd... not necessarily. I can change. Okay, so in, in German, I would say it like this. I know it's different. I'm going to change it around and it could still be wrong. But I mean, I don't think this is a bit, big. No, it's not a big point. It's just something <laughs> I was, uh, I was confused by. So here's a question. Do you think Raskolnikov wants to be caught by the police? Oh, I think this is a question. I think um, it's a bit ambivalent. I think he can't deal with the guilt and the situation of like having to lie and having to like, he's completely out of his mind. So he can't deal with the situation. And in in many ways, it would be a relief for him to be, found out, put into prison, judged, punished, etc. So I think a part of him just wants to get out of this horrible, horrible situation and be relieved of of whatever, yeah, the, the, the guilt in a sense that will be punished. But then there's this other part in him, which is obviously also scared and um, of being found out and um, the consequences that would follow and still wants to get away with it. So I think he's in split minds about it, or maybe not even minds. Maybe it's not even something that he can consciously or explicitly voice, but definitely on an emotional level, he seem, seems to be torn. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. So, what what really struck me throughout the entire part two is just how bad he is at not being suspicious. Like no one thinks anything of it, right? It's just this. Okay, so I can understand when he goes to the police that he's, and he hasn't been in a proper state of mind for probably weeks, right? But definitely not for days when he murders the the woman. And he goes to the police and then they start talking about it. I can understand that he maybe loses his mind there and starts fainting. Mm-hmm. I think that's understandable. And that basically gives him a perfect excuse for just staying in bed for a week and being ill, right? Like he's in bed and people think he's ill. 
he could just lie there and not do anything. But as soon as anyone mentions this murder, he just loses his mind every time. Mm. Like as soon as they say the murder, he just jumps up out of bed or something. Like he has such a great way to just lie there and not say anything. <laughs> but he just can't. Yeah, be, but, but yeah, he, he's yeah. he is not rational at all. And he is definitely not in control of his emotions. And the the inner, I don't know, like turbulent of like emotions and thoughts, and um, he's like I wonder also to what extent this is kind of like um, if you'd know about like um, literature this time or like art at this time, to what extent this is like a um, a character of the time because of. It, he's so not in control and so torn and emotional and very angry and then very confused and he's obviously like a very extreme character in in some sense i don't know really where i'm going with this but but it's definitely not like a depiction of a you know like a rational collected person who's planned the murder and now carries it through and takes the right steps and precautions. No, definitely. But I mean, so there's, of course, that, that basically nothing that he does is thought through or planned or executed well. But he does, like, short of actually saying, I murdered the person, he pretty much does almost everything, like, almost everything he does is really suspicious once you know that he committed the thing, right? Like, once you have that thought, maybe he did it, then you realize almost everything he did, like, when he went to the policeman, I was like, oh, you want to know where I'm reading these newspapers? Mm. And the policeman's like, what? No, like, you're reading newspapers. Like, I don't care. And mm. he's like, he's really, I, I feel like he, I mean, you know, that, that conflict within him that you said earlier, he, he really wants to just be freed of this guilt. Yeah. But he also kind of doesn't. But then I, I wonder at some point whether he maybe, he's not, he doesn't quite have the guts to actually almost go through with confessing his crime. But then, he basically does as much as he can in the hope almost that people will just figure out what's going on. I mean, yeah, I also wonder, yeah, that's one thing. Another thing is, so, you know, he basically one of the first, I mean, of course he was like ill for three, four days, but one of the first things he does after murdering the woman is visit the scene of the murder again, right? He pretty much, not immediately, but very early, goes back to where he murdered these two women. And so this might just be nonsensical TV stereotypes, but don't isn't that what serial killers do in all these TV things that they like want to see the murder scene and all that kind of stuff. And this it when I had that thought, it kind of really fit with what I said earlier that in part one, I mean like he really didn't need to murder someone to get money. Hmm. He's doing a lot of things that makes me think that almost that like the money is almost more not an excuse to murder someone, but I don't know. Yeah, not entirely sure, but it is really weird to me how he, when faced with financial difficulty, decides to murder someone. And then as soon as he can, he basically visits the murder scene again. It's like, where's the blood? There was blood here. Yeah, I don't know. I think... For me, it's like, I don't think that he knows at all, doesn't even know whether 
why he's he's done what he's done really and and also um, i think one um, sentence that alludes to this fact that he might not even be himself aware why he's done it is on page 134 he says suddenly he stopped a new quite unexpected and extraordinarily simple question had knocked him off course and filled him with bitter astonishment if this whole thing really was done consciously and not stupidly if you really did have a definite fixed aim then how is it you still haven't taken one look inside the purse and don't even know what you've got the very reason you accepted all this agony and consciously set out something so despicable so vile so low so he he himself because this is kind of like an inner monologue yeah. um he's like if, if this whole thing really was done consciously so he he doesn't know whether like whether he planned it and he kind of like talks to himself well if you if you really had this in mind why and you wanted the money why don't you even look inside now that you've got a pass um why don't so um and why didn't he steal any of the valuable stuff yeah another thing that Hazumikin says is like why i mean the police also said this like Whoever did this is a complete amateur because he stole like the purse and like some really cheap stuff, but like all the expensive stuff that was basically in the next room or in the next uh, cupboard, he just left there. So yeah, it's like the whole financial thing doesn't really make any sense because he didn't, he hasn't made any money from this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, I don't know, it's, it's maybe, maybe it's, it's also like, I mean, it's a bit like sort of the book was, and published in 1866, but that's like just before Freud, really. But I'm just like thinking this. Like 50 what, years before. Yeah. Before yeah, this is, this is a bit too early, but it's, it's very much seems. Sorry, 35. Hmm? 40 years, not 50, yeah. Yeah, but it, it it's a bit too early, but it seems a bit like he's very much talking about this, like that we're not all conscious of our acts and we don't, like, we think we are. We are the author of our own little story and we do what we plan to do. This is what we kind of, like, tell ourselves. So this is what it feels like. But mm -hmm. um, it's obviously not, not true. We know this a bit about psychology. We know very little about the reasons for our actions, etc. But I think this almost seems like an extreme example of this. He doesn't... He doesn't know, and then he makes like some justifications, but then he also really wants to escape the situation and on some level really regret. Oh, I don't know whether he regrets, but he obviously feels guilty for what he's done and wants to um, be judged or be punished accordingly. But on the other hand, he also is very worried and, and, and scared and doesn't want to be found out. But um, what... I think, and I'm, I keep coming back to this, the other people who, I don't, who, who seem somewhat surreal as sometimes and almost to me as intrusive thoughts, maybe they can also be on some level be seen as, as people or his own inner judgments of himself. Because I do get the sensation that, as we've already talked about it, that they might know more about him or his his actions than than we think and there's one section it's on page 142 
what a maid. She says um, that no one came. That's that's your blood yelling inside you. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 um, so and before before she says um, that's blood. She finally answers softly as though speaking to herself, and then he's like, "Blood, what blood?" And and you, the first thing you think is like, "Oh my god, she knows." Yep. But then she's like, oh, no, it's the blood yelling inside you as in, like, you're feverish. But I don't know. Like, it still seems like, what did she really mean? Does she know about the blood on his hands? Or Oh, you the... think she might also know. Yeah. I'm, I I'm know. just I, like, yeah. Yeah, it's a question whether that's a kind of cheap device to create a bit of suspense. Just to kind of like, you know, just to mess with the people going like, oh, she knows. Or whether she, it's her, like, this is the thing, right? She might. So, okay. There's this, like, that you said, like, this kind of, does she know this question that that sentence raises? Does she know that he killed someone? And there's like two ways in which this could be true, right? Either it's the character, uh, who's playing with him, who knows mm-hmm. and is playing with him, or it's kind of the author. Who's just messing with a reader? And I'm not sure which one it is. I would imagine more the latter, but I don't know. Or it could also be a third thing. It could be himself. Or... No, it's a dichotomy. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a dichotomy. Um, or it could be he himself who judges himself that he reads judgment in in everything other other people say you know like sometimes when you're really like critical about an aspect about yourself and then somebody mentions something and you hear only like um so like um we're so like sometimes we are very hyper aware of of things we don't like about ourselves or things we're trying to hide or whatever so we like murdering someone like murdering someone (laughs) um so it could also be this this third thing that today like he he perceives what they say in 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 a certain way um mm-hmm. i mean obviously he is explicit but this could also be a bit of like a creative freedom to make this um uh, give this impression or whatever yeah the interesting thing is it's kind of difficult to disentangle or to decide or find out which of those interpretations it is because of course we read the entire book through well, we don't really read it through Raskolnikov's mind um, because we are still like outside and can observe just how insane he is most of the time. But we are still kind of seeing everything through his lens, right? So it's, it can, like when, when the audience feels like, oh, does she know? You know, you have the same thing, right? You immediately go like, oh, no, does she know? But that's because we're viewing the scene through his lens. Yeah, yeah. Through knowing what happened. So it's kind of difficult to tell which which one it is. Although sometimes I feel so I agree with you that it's obviously mostly through his, his lens, he's the protagonist. Um, but I feel sometimes there are like passages in which it reads <clears throat> almost like a a play. You mean like when they talk or? No, but then it's like, for example, I mean, this is maybe not the best um, example of what I'm meant, but at the after this blood incident the last paragraph of this chapter is she went downstairs and returned a few minutes later with some water in a white earthenware jug 
and it's it's sometimes he's not like um he wouldn't have noticed that yeah but sometimes it feels like the sometimes he leaves and the person he interacts with stays behind and we know about them and I mean, to be fair, that's what he will know too, right? She goes down, and then he comes back. Yeah, the maybe that was that was a bad example. But, but I still find it interesting out. here how it's still kind of interesting how you have the scene just before when he's like, it's the first time he really asks, like, does this person, not the first time, but one of the first times that he really asks, does this person know that I murdered someone? And then you have this, like, as you said, I mean, the way you said it is almost like a description in a play, right? When you have like mm. the acts, it's like very neutral. She went downstairs and returned a few minutes later, mm. which is like the way it's written is almost too calm considering the, the emotional state he's in. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, some, sometimes it's a bit, bit like this. Oh. Um, it's funny you mentioned earlier uh, Kafka, right? Mm-hmm. And um, don't you think that basically part two here is almost this, or basically the, the process by Kafka is the same as the beginning yes. of part two here, just that he didn't actually do anything. <laughs> or maybe he did, I don't know. But it's very similar, right? Yeah. Where he just gets the, I mean, here the police sends him a letter when he's in bed and he's just summoned there. But Yeah, for me it's also this, this situation of, like it's very different. I mean, the content is different, but the situation of um, Askolnikov wanting to be alone and the people just not leaving him. This frustration reminded me very much about the frustration in um, yeah the process where he wants to get somewhere, but he doesn't get anywhere. And um, or in the castle. Yeah. So I think it's, it's in some some level there's there are some similarities. Kafka might have read Dostoevsky. Who knows? <laughs> might have I mean, done, yeah. He pretty much definitely did, right? I mean, that was like one of the big novelists. To, oh, I don't know. I don't know whether Dostoevsky always had this status, but I'm assuming. Mm. I mean, if you lived in Prague, you probably knew about Dostoevsky, right? But yeah, it, 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 but some of the... Also, the general tone feels a bit similar. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Uh, one thing I also found interesting is just how, you know, how in, in part one, I just, I kept saying, like, man, Oskolnikov really doesn't, like, he really didn't think this through. <laughs> like, it's just so poorly planned. I found it funny how, like, it takes like two days basically for the police to find out, like, yeah, whoever did this had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, they all said the same thing, like, man, there's so many people around here. Um, the murderer, like someone visited the person, like he got, like, you know, didn't take the money. It's just funny to me how, like, all these people also immediately went, like, yeah, what did this guy think? Like, <laughs> it's just done so poorly. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, there's one general point about Raskolnikov's inability to actually do anything properly that makes me wonder whether this story has anything to do with morality. So initially I assumed, I always, so I'd heard before, okay, this guy murders someone and it's kind of justified, but not something like that. That's kind mm-hmm. of the only thing I really heard about this before. And I thought, oh, okay, that's what it's, it's like about this moral question. Like, can you, is, can murder be justified or whatever, you know, something like that. 
but the thing is the more i read about this it's just he's just so incapable of doing anything like if you have i mean it immediately made me think in in, in opposition of um the play terror by Ferdinand von Schirach, where he i mean that's basically that is basically a dramatization of the trolley problem where a plane is captured by terrorists and they want to fly into the football stadium in Munich and a pilot shoots down the plane, which at the time in Germany was illegal. You weren't in that sense allowed to kill people to not them kill more people. But in that case, you have you basically the, the entire, what, what von Schirach establishes in terror is just this guy was completely capable. Like he knew what he was doing. This guy's completely sane. He's skilled. He's trained. He's educated. This is like one of the best pilots we can have. And he made a decision that's very difficult because this is a tricky moral question, right? But here we have a guy who's just so out of his mind all the time and incapable of doing anything that to me, it almost like it makes it impossible to talk about the moral question because he's just God knows why he did this, right? As you said earlier, mm. like he, um, I don't know whether this was just a misconception of the book that I had, a vague misconception that I had a book before, that this was kind of a question about of morality. But the more I'm reading this, the more I'm thinking, like, you can't make any, you can't question anything moral about this just because the person involved is so clueless and unplanned and unprepared. And um, that it's, it, it is, I mean, a psychological novel, which is what Dostoevsky is also usually described it right a novelist who studies the human psyche hmm. yeah. yeah and I'm, i think this is probably a question we can't really answer at this at this point like um or you probably need to judge the whole the book as a whole yeah. but i think Comparing the two parts, definitely that question changed a bit for me because we talked about last week, we talked about um, how this, um, yeah, whether it would be justified, etc. Right now, it feels like nothing is, nothing good is going to come out of this. Um, so, therefore, yeah, wouldn't be justified. But then it's also like the, the next question arises is do we, judge the morality of an action based on its outcome right he could have like planned to to relieve um lots of people of their debts debt, but then it didn't turn out as planned but does that make his action then worse which is how we there's actually i think a lot of question uh i don't know much about this but i think there i read something once that it is kind of weird that you know, in the law treats basically luck as an important factor in terms of how we treat people, right? Because if you, uh, if you drink alcohol, like let's say you drink a bottle of vodka and drive a car and, um, nothing happens, but the police catches you, you get, I mean, yeah, you get one sort of punishment. But if you then happen, if someone happens to be, uh, crossing the road or something and you hit them, right? which in both cases you just drank a bottle of vodka and you were completely drunk when you were driving the 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 coincidence of whether someone happens to be crossing the road or not will determine basically whether you get a manslaughter or where or maybe even murder i don't know or whether you get drunk driving right 
So there is this kind of weird thing where the but that's not a very good example, no. Because if you if you haven't drunk a bottle of vodka and you drive from A to B, you don't get um, any form of punishment, not at all. But if somebody happens to cross the road at a bad time and you run over them, then you might there are consequences, right? So okay, if, then let's okay let's use, okay let's make the example more extreme then the police catches someone who was drunk driving and who drove over the pavement right let's say there was a bus stop or something the person was completely drunk drove over the pavement and then swayed 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 back onto the road and nothing happened because no one was there but it's the same like you can't like to do the reason why this isn't a good comparison is because the action is different and it's the same if you take away the alcohol you would if you drive over the pavement like this you probably get some sort of um, punishment or fine or whatever if somebody stands on the pavement it has more severe consequences so therefore the but then again, okay, if you take the drunk driving out of it, yeah, you, you accidentally, for whatever reason, drive over the pavement and don't hit anyone, you might get some sort of fine for that, for not driving properly. But if someone's there and you kill them. Anyway, the point is, I'm trying to make is just that in the law, you have this thing where coincidences determine how severe the punishment is, even though the person might have done the same thing. And it seemed to me that you were kind of alluding or talking about that when you said, like, the outcome of the bad act. And that is a different thing, yeah. I think what I was alluding to is, let's say, I, so he plans to murder this woman. And he could have, when he first started planning um, the murder, he, the reason for doing this could have been like, okay, I'm not going to only help my own financial situation, but by killing her, a lot of people are going to be freed of their debts. So I'm, and this could have been the main goal, right? To free, really free people of their debts. And <clears throat> he goes there and murders her and either it works and everybody is relieved of their debts or something which he couldn't, wasn't in control of let's say she had kind of like passed on all the debts that they had been already sold the debts to another person. So maybe another person was, is in, in hold of the, whatever the notes are oh, called. The monastery is right. Yeah. Um, so maybe now it's just passed on and people are not freed of their debts, but they just owe it to somebody else. So, and I think the question I, I raised was, does it make the action of murdering more immoral if there's no good outcome. So it's a bit like, you know, like he could have maybe murdered Hitler at a certain time and he would have saved a lot of people's lives. But what if after murdering Hitler, you realized that it wasn't actually him, but I don't know. Like, you wouldn't you mean have saved like you when you you murder the wrong person, almost Charlie Chaplin, just because he looked similar. <laughs> For example, um, don't murder Charlie Chaplin, please. 
people. I mean, he's dead. Uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I guess this is like um, maybe extreme examples, but does it, if I'm, or, or let's say with the trolley dilemma, I'm intending to um, save people by um, pushing somebody else on the tracks, but then maybe it doesn't, doesn't work and right, yeah, yeah. the person I pushed on the tracks gets killed as well as the other five. Like six people, yeah. Yeah, like, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a different example. But um, what was my initial point? Yeah, it, I guess just a question whether um, his action, because last time we talked about is it, is it morally justified to to murder somebody if if it's for the greater good? Um, maybe that was his plan or his goal to start out with, but then things didn't go according to plan, and now he's in a big mess. Is it is okay, this yeah. question still hold or not? You mean like uh, could? How should we say? I mean, the whole question of whether the murder could be justified if he helps other people and whether this has changed now by the fact that something went wrong or that kind of stuff kind of presupposes that it's okay to murder someone to save other people, right? Um, because if you don't agree with that, then it doesn't matter what the outcome is, right? Like whether it worked or didn't work or whatever, then it doesn't matter. So in a way, I think the, I think the question you're raising kind of assumes now that it might be okay in certain circumstances, um, if I understand it correctly. I don't know. I don't think that I, I have an answer to this question. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I, what I mean is just like that, I, I guess I'm just agreeing that like we're just moving completely away from that question because it's just, it's, it's not really what the book's about. Right now the book is about, in part two, about... Well, the punishment, I guess, in this case, is psychological. His own guilt, his own... I mean, it's difficult to tell whether it's guilt or he's just afraid of getting caught. I don't know. It's a difficult thing with Oskonikov. You don't know what he's thinking because he's probably not thinking a lot. It's really it's really weird. Like, I feel like I've had a, a lot of interesting thoughts this recording, and yet I feel like I'm not making any sense. <laughs> almost in anything I said like I, I feel like I'm very incoherent but it's somehow still interesting but yeah well I think a lot a lot happened in this part actually it's it wasn't as linear as the first part I feel yeah that's true yeah uh, actually I have uh, two actually it's just one question then I think we might we could maybe do this at the end of each segment mm-hmm. or I don't know do you have other points no it's fine no okay um, then my question, uh, this is maybe something we could do at the end of each segment, mm-hmm. which is what do you think is going to happen in, part, in the next part? What's going to happen in part three? I really don't know. Um, I think after this part is like, it's, it's hard to tell. I so uh, Part three is also like a hundred pages, right? All the parts are roughly the same length, just to clarify. I don't think he's going to be found out. But um, there is going to be something about his sister family situation because I I still don't quite understand why he's so angry at the fiancé. Maybe angry is not the right word, why why he's 
disgusted upset, by him or, or upset or whatever it is. And if you're like, I haven't been given the whole, provided the whole picture in a way, in a sense. Um, so I think there's because so be far he that. seemed fairly normal, right? He was trying to make an impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, didn't seem to yeah. be anything really wrong with him. <laughs> yeah, and also he didn't expect he didn't expect being greeted in that way. So yeah, exactly. there's, there seems to he be. He seemed to try to make an impression despite everything going differently than he expected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. So I think the family's the sister. I mean, it ends in the sister and mother being in the place. So I'm assuming like part one is just going to take off where it left. So I'm assuming the next chapter is going to be about. Mom and sister and Oskolnikov and Lucien. Um, or at least, maybe not Lucien, but at least the first three. Yeah. So, okay, what do you, I think, okay, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to be found out, but I think the police is going to at least explicitly suspect him. Maybe call him in or something. Like it's, I think it's going to get started at least. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in part two, we had this like, very strong hints that the policeman is thinking some thoughts about Raskolnikov. Mm-hmm. I mean, they always say, like, maybe he's going crazy, but I think talking about the murder, because mm-hmm. they must know by now also that he's one of the pawners. So, yeah, I think they're definitely going to, I think that's going to develop and increase, but I don't think, yeah, he's not going to get arrested or anything yet. Um, so one thing is, this is actually something I, I noticed even, it, it's, it's, was in the beginning of reading part two, which is, you remember we were talking about the book, right? Mm-hmm. The physical book, the cover. <laughs> if you turn it around, on the backside, there's also a drawing. I always assumed that was a sister. When you actually look at the fine print, it says, uh, the first picture is called Raskolnikov's Dream, the front, mm-hmm. and the back is called Zoneshka, which is one of the nicknames for Zonia, or whatever her name, actual name is, the daughter, the prostitute daughter of the guy who just died and who he just spent time with, right? So the fact that she's on the back cover of the book suggests to me she's going to play a large role in this book, and she hasn't so far. So I think she's maybe, right. I think this part, she might make a proper entrance. So far, she's just been a side character. Yeah, yeah. interesting. <laughs> That's my detective work. Yeah, cheating a bit. Hey, I, it's the, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's on the back cover of the book. Um, okay, uh, cool. what do we think about the friend? See, the friend and the doctor? Are they going to be in it? Did you say um, the friend and the doctor? Yeah, the two people. Like, are they? Um, I they're, think they're, they're going to be in two. it. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially the friend is so involved already, so I can't really see him leaving easily, but. I think the doctor won't, because Mm -hmm. I think he's getting better now, right? Physically. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, one thing also, this is like when you read the list of the characters in the beginning. There's quite a few, there's like a few where you thought like, well, after I read part one, it's like, why are these people in there? So they must make Mm. some sort of appearance. Like one was the, the land, the German landlady, whatever, is somewhere in here. Um, wait, what was it? Amalia Ivanovna Lipewechsel, the Marmeladovs and Lebeziatnikovs landlady. Mm. 
I think she might make a bit of yeah. appearance at some point. Maybe again. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was part two. Next week we're going to be discussing part three. Uh, Sounds good. Hopefully oh. as insightful and even more coherent. Yeah. Mm-hmm.